0: I'm Stephen Crafty from Talking Design, a bi-weekly program coming to you from RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with Andrew Parr, Director of SJB Interiors. And Andrew, you've got a bit of a connection to RMIT. Well, funnily
1: enough, I'm just walking through the space again. I realised that I haven't actually been here for about four years or five years. But I had a great time here. I was actually educated here. Did a Bachelor of Arts in Interior Design many years ago. Don't want to say how many. Yeah. But um, and the campus has really developed and changed since I've been here. It was quite uh, quite inspirational, I think, to be back and have a look mm-hmm. at it. Now, Andrew, you're quite interesting in terms of when
0: you graduate, upon graduation, you went straight into working with SJB, uh, which is un- and you've been there ever since, really?
1: Correct. I mean, I suppose what happened is, is I suppose you find a synergy with a design firm very early on, which is mm-hmm. what I did. Um, there was a few options for me to go overseas when I hit the first recession straight after I graduated so in sort eight, eight, late 80s, yeah. um, I sort of graduated in about 87, 88, but um, yeah, the recession sort of hit about 89, 90, had a look at some options, I went over to London for a little bit and then came back yeah. and stayed with SJB from then on, um, and then developed the business into its own uh, interior design um, division and company, and that's been growing since 1994.
0: Right. And the type of projects you work on now are pretty diverse, everything from residential through to commercial, hospitality. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we've, we've actually prided ourselves, I suppose, in actually mixing the disciplines so that you can actually get diversity in your work, but also a bit of stimulation as well. You aren't pigeonholed into the residential designer or the retail designer or the hospitality designer. And I think it actually helps develop the... Uh, the actual group and the design that um, the designers you work with mm-hmm. um, to actually stimulate. So, project to project, you learn new things and get inspired by new, diverse clients as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who don't, I mean,
0: most people would know SJB's work, whether it's interiors or architecture or both. Some of the projects you've done over the years, just tell me a few of the projects that people, the establishment, the establishment
1: hotel, which was a major sort of refurbishment of a uh, of a four storey complex, it was an old Berta warehouse. Um, so it was pretty. Um, along with taking along with the ride with the client there was pretty exciting. Uh, MG Garage is a few sort of popular restaurants that we've done in Sydney as well.
0: Surrey Hills. In
1: Surrey Hills, which was the development of Crown Street as a whole, as we know it now, was sort of the first one to be in there many years ago.
0: What was interesting about the garage restaurant?
1: Um, well, it was a bizarre brief. I mean, it was very hard to mix throw an MG into a restaurant dining environment, particularly one that was aiming to be a sort of a Michelin star-style restaurant.
0: This is an MG car. Yeah,
1: an MG car, and that's essentially where it came from. But it was really, I suppose, the vision of the client at that time, who actually was a car dealer but loved food. So he put Yanni Kiritsis from Benelong at that time and Barara Waters as the main chef. And it was a bizarre briefing that we had to integrate somehow some people sitting on one side and a car on the other and sort of fuse it. And it was pretty successful for a long time, but like anything in restaurants, you know, they either have a time and they last forever or they get reinvented. And, um, now it's a very good Japanese restaurant. I won't say its name because we didn't design it. <laughs> and some of the other things in Melbourne that people um, would know? Uh, Jacques Ramond, uh, the Royce Hotel. Um, we're doing major refurbishment there for the last couple of years. Um, and Jacques Ramond, obviously, which is a famous, uh, restaurant in, uh, in Armidale or Peran. Um, and also recently working on <clears throat> projects like with the RACV, which is a large country club out in Healsville. Really?
0: Uh, In terms of you know mixing design streams, commercial, residential, how do you see design generally working? Do things that you use in the commercial arena end up in domestic environments? Absolutely, I
1: I think that's exciting fusion. Um, Particularly when you're doing hospitality, I think there's a very strong connection to residential. Um, Hospitality, I think, sort of hospitality in retail, I think, is probably the most advanced in design, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think those sort of elements. Key elements of those actually then move f- through into residential in years to come. Um, so, actually, give me an example. Oh, well, bedrooms, the development of the luxury bathroom, the development of the cinema room, all yeah. those sort of things, which yeah. are very hospitality based, yeah. or entertainment rooms, um, and I think it's essentially the the notion of you know the luxury hotel suite, which everyone. Uh, we find, residentially, really wants to have that experience in their ma- master sort of suite or ma- main bedroom. So
0: that includes lock-in
1: uh, wardrobes? Well, well, luxury robes, the interface between, you know, the bathroom and the living room and a... Uh, or bathroom, the bedroom and maybe a living space. So the whole thing can actually open up and be part... So you can literally have a bath within your one zone. But you could also have a living res- room there. So it's really like a luxury suite. Yeah. And that seems to be a very strong crossover. Mm. I was telling you... I was
0: speaking to you on the way to this interview that things don't seem to be going very far forward at the moment in design. Um, I mean we're going I think we're going through quite a conservative phase where it's almost people are looking for the next thing. How do
1: you see the design <clears throat> stage I see, at the <clears throat> moment? Look, I see. Yes, I think we're all, we're fairly in a retrospective phase. I think there's a couple of movements I think that are you know going through. I think there's a clear modernism that's occurring, and I think there's some good examples, but nothing better than some of the things I've seen in the sixties or all the or the seventies. And if anything, I'm looking at some of these seventies examples, some of the Guildford Bellhouses, thinking how extraordinary they still are, and we still aren't really achieving as good as that sometimes in the simplicity mm-hmm. of design. Um, but I think there's also a, a slightly retro experience going on at the moment, particularly in hospitality, which is about sort of 50s industrial and a bit of Danish sort of experience going through. And that's about, I think about the, the very um, very finished or refined modernism that's been going on recently. There's a reaction against that. So there's a reaction then about the raw brick, you know, the steel detailing of furniture, primary colour, no chrome, not so much marble, all those sort of reactionary things are happening at the moment as well. So I think that's quite diverse. And so, I think because of fun. the I think it's because of the clean modernism that we've had. Do you know? So yeah. I think we're there is they're very much that industrial and 50s financially, movement. financially as well. I, I think so. Yeah, the perception is is that it's a cheaper fitter, not necessarily, yeah. but it is because <laughs> people be. are building old brick walls <laughs> and, and bagging them white. Oh, okay. But um, so I think you know there, there's that going on, and then I then I think there's obviously that new movement which is. I suppose a, a really organic movement as well, which is as Zaha did inspired in smaller versions of. And you know, watch, what's that like for people that uh, don't uh, know? Uh, Well, totally, I suppose, futuristic organic, I would describe it as. Lots um, of seamless, seamless sort of design where the bed turns into the wall, turns into the ceiling, turns into the floor finish. It's liquid, I suppose. Um, and that's a very strong movement as well. I can see internationally with residential catching up, and some elements of that are coming forward. Um, I think that's probably the three sort of movements I would sort of break it into at the moment.
0: Uh, I mean, we've had, you know, a series of um, different design phases. I mean, I think the 70s is, is starting to become <coughs> popular again. Absolutely. What
1: is it about the 70s that people are attracted to? Is it the nuts and berries school? or the... I think so. It's the honesty. I think it's the honesty and the robustness of the architecture. Um, I think it's... Uh, you know, the, when I say the honest use of materials, you know, the exposed beams and the timber cladding, the floor-to-ceiling windows, the clear-story windows, the exposed brick. Everyone's rendering the exposed brick. Yeah. But the slate floors, you know, the, the materials are really quite honest. It's what they are. And I think uh, there's a resurgence back to it because I think essentially they were pretty good volumes. Even the most mm-hmm. standard house in the 70s, architecturally inspired mm-hmm. one, was a very good period as far as for ha- people to actually live in. Why is it, you know, you said Guilford Bell
0: houses, I mean, a lot of them have been demolished, but they did have a very elegant simplicity about them. Why is it that architects, you know, if they were doing, if Guilford Bell was doing that in the 60s and 70s, why is it that architects aren't doing that type of emotional work in 2011, or a lot of architects? Why has it become quite formulaic?
1: Um... I think, I think it's obviously up to the individual. I yeah. think it's probably a very... Do I- you think it's the clients I, becoming I, I, more
0: conservative? Or?
1: Oh, no, I actually think it uh, comes down to, I suppose, the strength of the designer at that time. I mean, Guilford Bell, from what I understand, had a very elite clientele. Yeah. Um, he definitely wasn't designing for the masses. Yeah. Um, and he was a very strong individual. Um, and I think he's just had a commitment to his own vision. And I think he had the clientele to, to do it. Um, there's some beautiful examples, you know, the brick house in you know um, Keong Road, no, no, no. which is fabulous. You know, I think it, it, it's still recycled bricks, yeah, timeless. I'm sure there'd be a lot of owners that have attempted to render that thing and put sandstone out the front. Mm. Well, but, a lot of them do, yeah, and a lot of them do. So I think yeah. it'd be really unfortunate. But that stands as a really good integral, integri- uh integral house that uh, you know is commitment to use it.
0: Uh, Andrew, how do you approach design work? Where, where's your starting point? Is it the
1: client? Is it the, the size is it the
0: sense of I think you, it's, what it's, it is? I think it's,
1: well, obviously location has a lot to do with it, and I think there's a... I think it's essentially it's the client and the location. I think it's just trying to formulate a brief to understand... I'm very much a person that would um, not try and um, enforce a, an idea onto a client if they're not going to, if I don't think they'd live in it properly. So I'm pretty committed to actually seeing with the client how they do live, um, and try and sort of come to that really nice middle ground of, you know, design for that individual. Not designing specifically for myself, because obviously it's, it, different. it's different and I'm a different person from somebody else. Um, and I had a recent client that um, sort of saw uh, a house that I lived in, a little house that I'm living in at the moment, that uh, she said, oh, my God, I think I've got the wrong designer because I use so much colour in it. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I said to her, no, the fact is, is I live in this house, you know, yeah. and, and you don't live in this house, and so you have forget sim- about the green Pirelli floor. It's fine. You can have a similar space without the colour. Well, you can have the... Like, at least, you know, when she was... You know, when I went mm-hmm. through the design process with her, I said, well, you know, I went with this experience on this house because I came out of a monolithic or mono, mono, monochromatic yeah. house and I just didn't want a clean contemporary house Mm. anymore. I actually wanted the quirkiness of an old house that had a 70s extension so I went more 70s than I should have probably, but I like it. And I said it's only an experience for me. It's not for everyone else to sort of judge and say this is what everyone's Mm. going to get at the moment. Is it a problem at the moment, Andrew, with the media that uh,
0: you know, rather clients coming to see you for your experience, and you have uh, years and years of experience, that people come to you with magazines and say, look, I want page three, page five, <clears throat> put in a bit of page seven. I've just been to Italy, so I'd like a bit of Italy thrown in. Do, do you think the media has <clears throat> made it more complicated for designers such as yourself to actually <clears throat> create something?
1: Well, I think. I think there's, yeah, I think uh, that's where the... Homogenous design is occurring, I think. And that's where people have got too many scrapbooks yeah. <laughs> and, and like, and they've seen this and they've seen that and they'd like you to recreate something that they've seen a photo of and all the rest of it. And I think that is really the wrong process. I mean, I don't mind it to a certain degree as a briefing. I get the feel of what they're after, but then I want them to take their scrapbook away and never see it ever again. Because yeah. I think that you've got to start with basic, base design principles and get the house to function properly first and then worry about what the color is later. Yeah. So I, I don't want to get them too emotive about some of those details. details, but also some of the current magazines, which I think, you know, really, if you're going to emulate... Someone else's design, even if it was our old design, you know, I, you know, I tried to explain to them that was designed for that individual at that time, yeah. and maybe that is not really. You might aspire to that look, but yeah. or aspire to a lot of elements in here, and I can get to the core issues, but it won't be the same because you're a different person. Do you, Andrew? Do you ever turn away work if if someone came to you and said,
0: look, you know, I want something really modern, and then <coughs> they present you with a Tuscan villa? that they think is really modern, do you get a sense from the start that this client isn't going to be right for you? Or do you
1: try and educate them into something more contemporary? I Okay, I guess I, I, th- I really sort of try and look at every... because um, you can't judge a book by a cover, as we all know. <laughs> and some of my best clients have been, um, not the best at the start, but, you know, developed a beautiful relationship down the road. And they've come to me with preconceived ideas. And I think... Um, and they've been very loyal to me over the years, and had numerous projects with them. But it's only because they enjoy the process with me, and I've taken them on a new journey yeah. that they didn't think they were going to have at the start. So I ha- yes, I have had clients that have come to me, and I've really said to them, "Why am I? Why are you talking to me if you do want this um, reproduction of a of a style? Yeah. Um, when you actually know my body of work doesn't look like that. I'm certainly not the um, the decorator with the curtains and all those sort of things, although." You know, years ago, I used to shoe um, curtains at all. <laughs> but now they had a nice modernist softness done properly. Yeah. But um so I think, you know, in that respect, I think, you know, like I've just had to try and educate them to take me along. But if I like the individual, you know, I've tried to work out, well, what is it about that Tuscan villa you do like? Is it the texture? Yeah. Is it the ruggedness to it? Or is it just the French door openings? Yeah. Or, the t- or the, or the, or ha- the or craftsmanship of tiles? You know, what is it that you actually really like about this space? As opposed to just while well, I was in Brighton just uh, a couple of hours ago where there's everything mock in that one street. Um, and I was sort of like thinking, but the f- the funniest thing is that they've all been to France. <laughs> and they've all taken a little bit back in <laughs> Brighton there. Um, but anyway, we've inserted a very modern house there, which is really weird. But, um, the, it's just like, I, I think, even with those period styles, you can. There's a fashion element to those period styles, mm. and you know, like we all have a period where everyone was mock Tuscan or mock Georgian, or and I think they're going to French chateau at the moment, mm. and there was also Spanish is coming back in a big way. I think, so I'm not quite sure. Do you know, like I think they're quite fashionable, and they're quite those sort of people that want to emulate those those period styles yeah. in a new build. I really sort of question when there are enough examples maybe to go and buy that old, or, or, you know, go and buy a 30s version of it, which yeah. at least might have a bit more integrity than trying to do a mock one now. I was going to um, say, Andrew, you started very early as a designer.
0: I mean, I remember you said that you you, you <coughs> designed your parents' house yeah, in Ivanhoe, yeah. Yeah. which you must have been, I think you were only 16 at the time. Yeah, it was
1: actually in Templestowe, but it was oh, close. Tim- sorry. I grew up in <laughs> I grew up in Ivanhoe, and um, like anything back in the, um, what was it, 70s, 80s, my father and my parents... Like anything, decided to move out to Tempestow over the other side of the river because um, of more land and all that. And it was just the thing to move further and further out mm-hmm. at that time. We'd, we had, had quite a nice contemporary house in Ivanhoe, but um, then we, my father and we pro- progressively bought and sold houses. <clears throat> um, so I was a young guy, I was about sort of 15, I suppose, f- still at um, secondary school. And uh, I'd been designing houses ever since I was a young kid, doing floor plans, intrigued by. Residential design and floor plans accidentally fell on upon modernism at I don't know age or nine. Yeah. Didn't understand yeah. about. I always remember seeing some very early examples of Mies van der Rohe. So sort of not really understanding who he was, but I sort of self taught myself about it. Just how he got those big sheets of glass so and at, all at, those sort of things. At fifteen or sixteen, your parents said, "Look, design us a house." Well, yeah, I mean it was it was an evolution because I'd already done a lot of schemes for them renovating their houses, and they were pretty much into that. You know, they were they actually were would move quite frequently, uh, every two or three years anyway. Yeah. So no, my mother had a very modern aesthetic, so it was actually not such a hard sell as was a she, Was she a designer? Or? <clears throat> no, no, she was a pharmacist. It's, okay. like, it's like nothing <laughs> to do with that. But uh, she could appreciate modern design, and she really wasn't a classical, um, in, you know, deco- mm. decoration-inspired mm. sort of person. So... When it came about to my father said, oh, we're going to build a house, I came up with some designs for it, and it was great. It was just a double courtyard-style house, um, pretty much glass, um, just four-car garage at the front and one front door, and that's all you could see. Is it still standing? It's still standing, yeah. Um, a bit disappointed the way it looks now, because it's like 20-something years ago, and they've um, painted it a weird colour. And it used to have a silver birch jungle at the front with, oh, um, with just a meandering gravel drive and just a four-car garage and a door in the middle. What is it now? It's now um, no silver birches. There's a hedge. There's a box hedge. They brick-paved the driveway. (laughs) And you can still see the original house there, unfortunately. But, yeah, yeah, someone's had another go at it, which is unfortunate.
0: Andrew, do you get despondent when you do present something, whether it's the house you designed for your family or something uh, in more recent years that you're very proud of, and then people change it and they do things with it that, you know you can't understand. Is it something you have to kinda of just back off after you've done a design and say, look, it's theirs now and
1: they can do with it like that what they like or do you kinda of get quite no, upset? No, there is a sadness. I mean I think there's a sadness, um, like when M G Garage actually was, you know, turned into another venue and you know, like which is a restaurant venue and I understand mm-hmm. restaurants are very you know, probably the shortest <laughs> lifespan out of all design. <laughs> But, uh, you know, like, I, I really, there was a lot of uh, there was a lot of element of great design for me that I, you know, I blood, sweat and tears that I put into that interior to see it ripped out and, you know, redone. Um, was sort of a sad moment. And I think at the end of the day, it is theirs. I have designed it for them. That person has moved on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I have no right to sort of, like, say, oh, well, you know, it's got to remain as is, as unfortunate yeah. it is. Some of the houses that I've gone back to, um, which have been great, and I've had some clients which I've designed houses for some 20 years ago, and um, they've kept me involved in the process of their development as a, as a, as a family or whatever as well. So I've always got. So I've gone back to some houses four times in the last 20 years to, re- to redo it and remodel it and whatever. So the house is actually, fortunately, is it's. I think it still looks great because we've had a strong control over yeah. how it was remodelled back to its, you know, so it never did anything against the original architecture. Uh,
0: Andrew, you know, some of the biggest changes happened in the post-war period. They had open plan living that was mm. considered new. If I said to you, what are some of the big changes in the way we live today? Um, what what are some of the things that you think are quite revolutionary
1: for now and you think will carry on? It's a hard question because... So it's, well, I mean, I suppose, look, the, I mean, the... There's elements of the um, open plan that are closing up, (laughs) believe it or not. Um, In what way? Oh, the cinema room, all that sort of projection room down in the basement. That's an enclosure, (laughs) a little dark enclosure. (laughs) Um, I suppose, the look, I mean, you know, there's been a huge jump from, you know, the removal of the classic formal dining room, do you know, to very much a casual, everyday meals area. And also the formal experience of the formal living room, but the enclosures I think which are going back—not so sort of revolutionary—is people are then almost going back into their study library environment and also their projection rooms. And I think there's some forms of enclosures now that are going back from totally open plan. Do you think kitchens are going to be more enclosed? Uh, I think um, I think it's, it depends. I think there's a um, there's a, there's, a, there's a some people that actually cook and cater a lot, they actually do like the idea of some enclosure, because they realise when you're cooking for all those people, it actually is not that pretty. Yeah. And um, whilst you have that nice social interaction and it forms a bar, I think some people, when they're really cooking away, don't really want to have everyone on view there. So there is a bit of that, I think. Um, so as I said, some, there's, after we've totally almost exposed and opened up that floor plan, I think there are rooms that are starting to have walls and screens around them again. What do you find the most challenging thing about what you're doing? Um, I suppose the most challenging thing is really to... Uh, there's always a fear that you're not evolving yourself, I think, and that you don't want to be stuck in a moment, I think. Um, and I think so... The big, the biggest thing is really to try and be, I suppose, open-minded as I'm getting older, that you're not just stuck into a, you know, sort of realm of design, that you are exposed to new products and, and you know, you're willing to go with... If it's, a, if it's an assessed or... Or you evaluate really the quality of those things you're looking at now and to make sure that you're not caught up in a trend as well. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think it's a, that's a real, as I get older, it's more like you want to be more conscious about what you are doing because it it's, can't be transient and it can't be just that state, that fashionable mm-hmm. thing, but you don't want to be left behind either, you know, mm-hmm. like, because there's all those sort of, Elements like we read where, you know, Craig Elwood and all those sort of things, where he went bankrupt because he just stayed in his 60s modernism. I and when 60s that. modernism yeah. was out yeah. of fashion, yeah. it's like, bang, no one wanted the beautiful museum pavilions anymore. Yeah. And you know they they had already left and gone more I don't know more seventies or timbery or do you know what I mean like yeah. and, and so his design had actually been left a little bit behind and he's, he's now being rediscovered obviously yeah obviously because yeah. it's you know he's one of the you know case study you know innovators in um, in LA so and obviously you can see the beauty in some of, in his work now um, but that's I think that's there's a fear there do you know so you can remain very true to your design principles but I think there's also a fear that if you've got to keep evolving. And as you get older, I think it's how do you keep yourself exposed to all that? What <laughs> would, well, if someone walked into an Andrew Parr interior,
0: what would they, what would they recognise? Not that you have a, a, you have a certain style or signature, but what are the type of hallmarks that if, if I walked into an SJB interior that you would hope that, would resonate.
1: I think, there's, I think there's still a clear um, understanding or a clear interpretation of modernism in behind there. And I also would say there's the use of texture, of colour, and making the spaces actually quite, excuse me, livable. Um, and really trying to... Um, I'd say there's a lot of contrast and there's a lot of texture in the spaces. They're definitely not a cold interior. I would always describe myself more of the... You know the warmer end of modernism, anyway. Even though I like the you know the simplicity of modernism, very much, the the background will be beautifully executed, and then it's the layering in the middle
0: right.
1: that I find a house then works. So I'm very much loving you know, like uh, I suppose you know the the idea of the, the great sofa and the great art to yeah. you know layer the house. You now, what are you working on at the moment that's giving you a lot of pleasure? Um, oh, well, there's a couple of projects. I mean, there's a there's a, a great. Um, uh, house that we're doing down in Redhill at the moment, which is great, and it's a total rebuild of a 80s style provincial thing. So we're actually cleaning it up, <laughs> but, there's, but it's going to be it's going to be quite beautiful because we're actually making it a um, a contemporary form of that really quite simple style of architecture, but with steel frame windows and sort of really cleaning it up and making it have a n- really beautiful edge to it. So it could have felt like an old period house in Europe somewhere, but it's been stripped.
0: Fantastic. So
1: yeah. I, I'm loving that context there because it's on beautiful 50 acres and gorgeous, yeah. you know. So that's, a, and the client is fantastic as well. <laughs> look, Andrew, thanks so much for coming, um, and being a
0: guest on Talking Design. It's been a privilege and I've been following your career for a long time. And, uh, I, look, I, I am, delighted you accepted to come onto the show so thanks very much and and, um, speak soon great thank you